0: This is Sam from Spokane. I just finished listening to Jesse Dolomar as a guest on two other podcasts, once again illustrating the fact that Brittany is indeed the best part of I Doubt It with Brittany Page and Some Guy Named Dolomar.
1: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 438 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined today, as I always am, by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, the freaking me out with stories, my beautiful co-host, Brittany Page.
2: Well, you don't need to be afraid because you are not an 11-year-old
1: girl. Yeah, I'm not... (laughs) It's not that I'm afraid. It's... It's, uh... Just let's talk about the story. (laughs) Let's talk about you're just having too many feelings. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's uh, I try to put myself in the in at the place watching it go down. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it just seems the, the
2: it's insane. Okay, so. Should we keep
1: talking about leave everybody in suspense? No.
2: So (laughs) this situation happened like 35 miles north of Flint, Michigan. And it was the evening of August 10th. And a 22 year old man, uh, identified as Bruce Hipkins, tried to abduct an 11 year old. But it didn't go as planned because when he
1: grabbed her. Didn't you say he grabbed her by the face?
2: Yeah, he grabbed her by the face and mouth and told her that. She was coming with him and she was there with three of her friends and they all jumped into action and they threw iced coffee at him, at his face, and uh, they were kicking him and scratching him and she got away. Wow. Yeah. I think he tried to grab another one of them, but again, they all kept fighting. Teamed up. Yeah. Yeah. And... I mean it's pretty powerful I, I don't know how they were able to Maintain their courage in that moment And just I don't know if they If they even thought about it but to think There's strength in numbers And he can't take all of us So, let's do this.
1: Well-trained, I use that term very loosely, but well-trained kids, Mm -hmm. maybe they're just extra surly, because I don't know a lot of 11-year-olds who are walking around drinking coffee. (laughs) You
2: know what I mean? Well, Starbucks is a part of the culture now, so the kids... Or they probably were drinking a frappuccino, right. which is not coffee. So they
1: grossed him out by throwing <laughs> it in his face. Yeah. Oh yuck! All right, I'm gonna right. abandon this abduction.
2: Yeah. Um. But the <laughs> the girl's father was interviewed. The one who had her face grabbed and almost got kidnapped. Um. He he said that he had always told her to go for the throat and the groin. Yeah. So he had always kind of trained her if something goes down do this so that you can get away.
1: It makes me wonder how much like training, because mm-hmm. when you're, when you're in a, for instance, training for combat situations, they mm-hmm. don't just mention it once or twice. Like, here's what you do. You do it over and over and over. You practice and practice until that muscle memory, memory develops. And then you're able to do it more instinctually. Right. than on thinking about how to execute, you know? Yeah. So, they're either really on top of it because mm-hmm. he re- must have really beat it in their heads because these kids. I mean, we've got another taking care of Biz later in the episode, toward the end. But the they were they're taking care of Biz. The dad, the kids, these girls. It, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I would have reacted as a kid. I probably just all right. Well. This is what's happening.
2: Is that what you would have done, really?
1: No, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I
2: mean, we can't say what we would have done, but I. But what did your parents tell you about um, being kidnapped or?
1: Well, there was no instruction. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like go willingly or kick and scream. It was yeah. But also, there was talk about it because the town in which we lived. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I, I don't know if there really was like a an uptick or a surge in child kidnappings and murders, Mm -hmm. or if my mom was just kind of nutty about it Mm -hmm. and paranoid about it. But it seems to me that there were several serial kidnappers out all the time Mm -hmm. in my head. I was, it was always on my mind that kids are getting yanked off the streets, you know? Yeah. The, the the free candy van was just roaming around like an ice cream truck Mm -hmm. in Southern Idaho where I, where I was living. Perfect. Perfect. But I don't remember ever being told yeah. um, what to do in the case of such an emergency. What, what I mean, what, what did the wolves tell you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think there's several things about my childhood that informed my idea about kidnapping. Number one, cops was always on in my house. Every weekend, cops and America's
1: Most Wanted. That does not surprise me.
2: And so I was hearing, I mean, America's what, what, Most Wanted...
1: Your parents wanted to learn how to get out of situations, what not to do.
2: <laughs> well, we'll get into that another time, but <laughs> we did have a police scanner. So, um,
1: not, not a shock
2: when, uh, I don't know. is America's most wanted on. Is that still a show that's on
1: That John John Wall show? Yeah, right? Yeah. No, they, he had a show on, on, uh, on CNN for a short time. Yeah, I'm
2: talking about America's Most Wanted, though. No, I
1: don't think it's on. Okay, so... It it wouldn't really... It wouldn't work well in reruns. Yeah, that was
2: a terrifying show. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembered watching it, but when I was a kid... That was terrifying. In fact, it, it informed my my two number, my my two, my top two.
1: My two number yeah, one fears. Well,
2: <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I guess they're tied. Um, when I was a kid, which was number one, being sold as a sex slave.
1: <laughs> wow. We grew up in different times. And
2: number two, um, having my throat slit in the middle of the night. Because something had happened wow. when I was younger where a girl... Um, someone tried to kidnap her and broke into her house, and they slit her throat in the process. And she like held her throat and walked half a mile or something to the house to get help.
1: Really? Yeah, and it's a real thing.
2: Uh, I remember it huh. as well, being real. It? <laughs> it could be a false memory, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that terrified me. But my parents placed a lot of emphasis on fighting and knowing how to fight. I was in wrestling when I was younger, and my mom. Uh, Was a boxer and she would take me to the boxing gym and I remember many times where she's like helping me practice um, what to do when a fight goes down she's like they're gonna go for your hair so the first thing that we would do is like practice a fight being initiated and then me quickly putting my hair up to get it out of the way and then yeah, get yeah. ready to fight. Um, Mine's
1: always, I, I take my watch off.
2: Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I don't want
1: to mess up my watch.
2: These really important life skills right, right. that you need when you're running in the right crowd. It's
1: not study skills. Yeah. How, how, to, how to be a good studier and, and learner. It's
2: yeah, yeah. How to
1: put your hair up quickly.
2: right. <laughs> Mom, give me some math flashcards. We don't need to practice the fighting, okay?
1: (laughs) That would have served you a lot better.
2: Yeah, but I think that it um, made me more aware, and so they were very open about (laughs) criminals and America's Most Wanted, so I was scared, and I was definitely aware, but that also informed how I was with um, my friends, so I was typically like the street smart one with my friends, um, even when I was very young.
1: Yeah, I'm different world different world definitely but listen <laughs> these kids these girls um that's that's awesome i mean because yeah they're, for they're, sure they're, i think there's a natural kind of trepidation mm-hmm. or maybe not so much anymore and this is going to make me seem like clint eastwood and gran torino get up right <laughs> on.
2: but let's hope not
1: kids like when i grew up mm-hmm. i wasn't popping off to adults because i really had a fear that i was going to get my you know get a rap on the head yeah i'm a growing up, you know, the, the rough and tumble logging town that I grew up, uh-huh. you smart off to an adult, he might just punch you in the face. You know what I mean?
2: Yikes. Well, I don't know what you in mean. In a little town but... that I
1: grew up. But but now kids, they, they know <laughs> that's not going to go down. Yeah. They know their rights. They, these little bastards are smart now. And it kind of shows with these girls who showed no fear whatsoever, right, to rain blows and frappuccino down on this this <laughs> asshole who who was arrested. Yeah, and he does look like a like a problem.
2: Well, he had coffee stains all over his shirt. Is that oh, what you're that, referring that to? That is what
1: it was on the shirt. I yeah. was wondering, I was like, yeah, oh, that guy's shirt is dirty. No, that's
2: how they spotted him. He was walking down the street and had coffee stains all over his shirt, and they're like, oh, that's the guy that. <laughs> They were throwing the coffee at. So great. tried to kidnap them. Yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah. And then good for the girls. I mean...
2: It's also good for other people to hear this story, though, because then they get to understand, wait a minute, I can try to fight back if yeah. I'm getting attacked, right? Um, and that's probably controversial to say, but I think that girls feeling empowered and hearing stories like that is pretty important. Well, why would it be controversial? Well, for uh people like jesse d who like to talk about uh women being weaker than men and uh the physically you mean yeah the reality of the physical differences and things like that uh i think it's controversial to say that girls should like fight back against Hmm. men but as you I s- don't think
1: it's controversial. I, think I don't, it's think, great. I don't yeah. think it's
2: controversial either. As you see, in this case, it worked. Yeah. And who's to say when it won't work? Who's to say that one girl couldn't have done that? It is. Couldn't have clawed his eyes out and, and gotten away. For
1: sure. I think that it is a special flavor of empowerment that three, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls felt strong enough, whether it be individually or together, that, hey, we're going to... We're going to fuck this guy up. We're not going to let this go down the way he thinks it's going to go down. I think that's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. All right. Well, we have a voicemail. Perfect. From, oh, and coincidentally enough, from someone who says they are our youngest viewer.
3: Oh. Hi. My name is Mikelly Jones. You know, I'm one of your youngest viewers. I just want to say, you know, we want to, you know, appreciate what you're doing on YouTube as well as, you know, on iTunes and all the platforms, you on. I've been watching, I've been, you know, I've been looking at your live streams, your podcast. I really just want to say thank you, and I hope you live a blissful life, along with you and uh, and your, co- and, and your uh, co-star, colleague Brittany. So I just really want to say just thank you, and I just want really to say thank you, and God bless you. I just appreciate what you're doing. That's really
2: about it all. Thank you. Well, isn't that amazing? Thank you so much. Yeah. Love that.
1: I am I'm, uh, I'm always a little uncomfortable. Not so much with the YouTube. Because uh-huh. I, I keep it more socially acceptable on the YouTube with the language. But the podcast, uh, we are a little bit more adult flavored. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, anytime somebody's thanking us for what we do, and the and the work that we put in here is is uh, welcome.
2: How old did she say that she was?
1: Uh, youngest, I don't know.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> did she run a poll on the Dallamore listeners? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So that is awesome. Yes, well, this wasn't planned to talk about the girls fighting back. and then this coincidental caller that called a few minutes ago. Um but it kind of fits right in with children and protecting children. And the uh, the the investigation that's being done right now, the 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 indictments that just got um this 900-page grand jury report from the office of the attorney general of Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, I don't know I would I don't know that I would call it an indictment.
1: Oh, okay, just a report. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's let's play this this sound here. to to give us a little background, and then I want to talk about this.
4: The stunning report today involving the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, a scathing grand jury report accusing more than 300 Catholic priests of child sex abuse. They say there are more than 1,000 victims dating back decades, and tonight some of those alleged victims in tears right there with authorities. Here's ABC's David Wright the blistering grand jury report names more than 300 predator priests and accuses dozens of church officials of covering up. And this is just one state, Pennsylvania. Priests were raping little boys and girls. And the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all. More than a thousand victims in all. Some shared their story in a video. I was groomed starting young.
0: They targeted me Because I was fatherless, he would always have
4: his hands on me. In case after case, the report says church leaders maintained a circle of silence. Predators in every diocese
5: weaponized the Catholic faith and used it as a tool of their
4: abuse. The Pennsylvania report comes amid a new wave of sexual abuse accusations in the church that resulted in the recent resignation of former Washington, D.C. Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. McCarrick maintains his innocence. He's the highest-ranking church official to fall. Father Boniface Ramsey was one of the whistleblowers who reported it. Now we
3: know that people knew.
4: David Wright with us live tonight. And David, I know many of these cases date back many years. So will this report today result in any criminal charges? It will, David, against a few priests, but as you say, most of these cases are well beyond the statute of limitations. Tonight, the Bishop of Pittsburgh, which is one of six dioceses uh, referred to in this report, came out. He is apologizing and says that the church has implemented reforms that hopefully will prevent this from ever happening
1: again. David,
4: yeah, really hard to wrap your head around these numbers, though, tonight. David Wright, thank you.
1: So I guess that clears it up. It is a report, I think it's not indictments because the the... the The charges, and I'm using that term loosely, the charges and the accusations in this report go back decades, spanning decades, and 300 priests just within the state of Pennsylvania.
2: 300 plus priests, Wow. 1,000 plus victims, 70 years, 6 out of 8 dioceses in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. I have been really struggling with this because... On my memories on Facebook, sometimes there will be very aggressive posts that I made like ten years ago about the Catholic Church. Yeah, saying indict the Pope when Joseph Ratzinger um, was the Pope, and um,
1: and who was complicit in moving abuser priests from parish to parish.
2: Right. Yeah, and that was ten years ago. Yeah, that I was posting that. And one of the things that Pope Francis promised to do when he came into his role was to take decisive action on this. And he has not done that.
1: No, in fact, we just talked about recently him not believing the victims in Peru, I believe it was. Yeah. This is part and parcel. This is a pattern with the Catholic Church where they not only don't do anything... For children who are brutally raped by priests, they cover up for it, and in many cases, facilitate those rapist priests to rape again.
2: So, let's just go through a couple of these, um, because I think it's important for people to know how serious this is. Yeah, it's... Um, disgusting and then we'll kind of get into what the catholic church can or should do going forward yeah um and anyway let's just talk about this real quick so we can get it over with
1: um let me say this before you start i wish over the last couple days that you've been reading the tidbits to me i have been shocked and i didn't think that was something that could happen related to catholic priest abuse of children like the cases i thought i'd heard everything but this is extra egregious because this isn't just a handful of molester priests this is a systematic um organized method for abusing children and victimizing children like on a mass scale mm
3: mm-hmm.
2: There's a case of a priest who um, the grand jury says raped a seven-year-old girl while visiting her in the hospital after she got her tonsils out. Another priest is accused of um, making a nine-year-old boy give him oral sex and then rinsing out his mouth with holy water to purify him. Uh. There was a priest who was had multiple uh, child abuse complaints filed against him um, and he quit, but then he asked for and received a letter for a reference for his next job at Walt Disney World.
1: And it's unbelievable.
2: The grand jury um, says many things about church leaders criticizing them. Um, This is a portion of that quote. What we can say though, is that despite some institutional reform, individual leaders of the church have largely escaped public accountability. Priests were raping little boys and girls and the men of God who were responsible for them. Not only did nothing, they hid it all. For decades.
1: Unconscionable.
2: So not only that, but there are stories of some of these priests giving the victims gold necklace, gold cross necklaces so that they could be easily identified as an easy target so that other predatory priests could go to these children and... Target them for abuse as well. So they were like marking kids. Like, hey, here's an easy target for you. Have at it.
1: Which means they were out in the open with one another about their crimes. It's, oh, you're an abuser. You like to rape kids? So do I here's a method by which we can abuse the same kids that we've identified as easy targets. Mm -hmm. That is fucking reprehensible.
2: Yeah. They were actually also the allegations in here say that they were creating pornography on diocese grounds, um, child pornography rings with these priests on church property.
1: Where are the Catholics?
2: So that's kind of my question. So that's what I've been struggling with ever since this came out. Um, and I'm interested to hear from people that are m- members of the Catholic Church out there. Um, how do you stay in when this is, you know, they had the movie Spotlight, which was about the abuse in Boston. You had that HBO movie, the Mia Culpa yeah. something about the abuse of deaf boys. in. I think it was like Milwaukee. Oh. And um. Like I said, my posts about this have been going back 10 years. So this has been um, well-known. And it's not just that it's happening in all of these different places, right? It's that the church is covering it up and hiding it and moving these priests to other places, protecting them. And you're, you're still seeing that in this case, too, because Pope Francis came out today and did some sort of ceremony where he came out and, like, said some prayers or whatever And didn't talk about this. Right. Didn't have a statement to make about this. Isn't flying to Pennsylvania to like do something. I don't know what he would do, but go to the church and like, you know, show some support for the victims.
1: He's the vicar of Christ, the voice of Jesus Christ on earth. You think he would have the authority to do something to stand in the in in the in the stead of these children.
2: And so I, I guess I'm just wondering with how pervasive this problem obviously is. Yeah. What is the plan here?
1: For Catholics, like normal everyday churchgoers.
2: Yeah, and even for the organization. As I see it, I don't understand how it survives this. I don't understand how they can go forward. I don't I don't know what needs to change. It's just it's everywhere. Yeah. And how are you gonna root out? I mean, this is just three hundred priests in this one place. Yeah. In this one place.
1: Six, what'd you say? Six out of seven? Six out of eight. Six out of eight. Mm-hmm. Listen. If you're just an average, everyday Catholic's Catholic, you go to church on Sundays, or even let's say you're a a Christmas and Easter kind of Catholic, it's one thing if you don't get riled up and write to church about their stance on birth control or abortion. I get that. This is the lives and well-being of children. This is the rape and torture of over a thousand kids, innocent babies. If that doesn't get you fired up enough to, 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 to spark off an email or to talk to your local diocese and make demands, then what in the fuck's going to do it? Mm-hmm. And it's not an indictment of these people because they didn't do anything they're not they're not part and parcel to this but if you're an organization you give money to this church you 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 are supporting you're giving material support to an organization that is backing up the rape of children on a systemic global level come on
2: well and I actually read a uh, a column in the Washington Post written by a Catholic I believe it was a Catholic woman. I don't remember her name, but she basically said that the church is no longer a moral authority because of all of this. And, you know, for me, um, I haven't believed that any church is a moral authority for quite some time. Yeah. But this is someone who's calls themselves a Catholic and said the church is no longer a moral authority until they clean this up. And there were no like solutions offered. It was just that they're no longer a moral authority until something is done about this. And I guess that's kind of where the hole is for me. Like I would be yeah. wondering from that person as well. Well, what, what does that look like for you? What is the solution? What do they have to do? Because in my view, they need to get rid of a lot of people. I'm talking like thousands, thousands. and thousands of people, yeah. including priests. Uh, anyone who works in the church offices that are hiding these complaints and protecting these files. In
1: this report, it said dozens of people were complicit in covering this up. Yeah. Dozens.
2: Yeah. Anyone who's writing letters of recommendation to help these priests get jobs where they can be around lots of kids all day. Yeah. All of these people. That's criminal. How are you going to root out all of these people? This is just in Pennsylvania. We know what happened in Boston. We know what happened in Milwaukee. We know what happened in Brazil. All of these different places where this is going on. And what?
1: Yeah, no, it's the question. It is the question.
2: But this is somehow controversial to talk about, right?
1: Well, not here.
2: Not here, but in... In certain circles, it is controversial to talk about this problem because it's as though um, you can't can't criticize the church. It's the church, right? They're untouchable.
1: If the church has one role, one duty, you would think it would be the protection and pastoral care of children, of the most innocent among us. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Again, that same scripture we talked about recently. That it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and for you to be tossed to the bottom of the sea than to cause a little one to go astray. To leave the face of Christ. This is biblical. If the church, the Catholic church, started by Peter, is supposed to be a moral authority, And they fail at the most basic job. Then what is to be expected of them? How can they have moral authority if they're not taking care of the basic shit? And listen, it cannot be said that, well, this is just on the parish level. This is just individual. No. Because it has been proven time and time and and time again that this goes all the way up to the top levels of the Vatican. Cardinal Bernard Law. Cardinals. Which is one rank. Re- when a pope dies or quits, we've only had one quit in the last several hundred years. Benedict. Nazi, Nazi youth pope.
2: Joseph Ratzinger.
1: Ratzinger. Um, but when a pope dies or quits... It's the cardinals who go into the conclave and pick the other, the next pope, among themselves. That's how high-ranking a cardinal is. And those are the individuals who are complicit in covering this up and complicit in moving child rapists from one parish to the next without alarming, without warning that, hey, you got a rapist heading your way families look out for this guy
6: mm-hmm.
1: and that's not even to say they're not turning him over to the police because of course they're not doing that it's disgusting
2: yeah so i i i would be interested to hear from catholics um and what that they, what they're feeling i mean i i don't know so i i'm interested to hear
1: six five seven four six four. 7609 we would like to also take your emails of voice memos from your smartphones to I doubt it at com. this next audio is the attorney general of the state of pennsylvania who conducted this grand jury and this report i believe his name is josh shapiro and he's being interviewed on npr
7: Pennsylvania. Attorney General Josh Shapiro joins us from Harrisburg. Mr. Attorney General, thank you for, uh, for joining us. Disturbing doesn't even begin to do justice to this report. How would you sum it up?
5: 301 predator priests, a systematic cover-up by church leadership. More than 1,000 child victims over, over decades there's no other way to sum it up other than saying that this is the most comprehensive report done into clergy sex abuse in the history of this country. And the 23 grand jurors in Pennsylvania put forth a specific plan on how we could help move our commonwealth forward with law- legal changes necessary. But most importantly, today was a day for sunshine. Sunshine is a powerful disinfectant and sunshine is what we got here today in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania.
7: Well, we don't begin to have time to go into the details of every one of these, but I did read an, uh, a good portion of this. Can you give us just some examples of the kind of abuse that's taken place and when it took place?
5: Well, understand this took place over decades. Again, documented proof involving 301 predator priests. One priest... Uh, raped and, and assaulted and abused five sisters in the same family. One priest so violently raped a young boy that he had to get uh, treatment for his back injuries as a result of that abuse, treatment that involved opioid painkillers that ultimately he got hooked on and died from. We saw Catholic priests weaponizing their faith, using their faith as a tool of the abuse. And all the while, the bishops, the monsignors, the cardinal, covered it up.
7: When you say they covered it up, uh, I heard uh, the Archbishop of Pittsburgh describing today what happened during that period, pointing out that, yes, what happened was terrible, horrific, but he said the worst of it happened more than two decades ago. And he said it was not so much a cover-up as following procedures at the time.
5: Bishop Zubik is flat-out wrong. Bishop Zubik, by the way, was Father Zubik for quite some time. He was promoted because of his role that he played in this cover-up. Understand, Judy, this isn't a matter of interpretation back and forth. We not only relied on people testifying before our grand jury over a two-year investigation, we relied on the church's own records the church's own documents in what they called a secret archive they had a trove of documents that not only detailed the abuse but detailed the cover-up as well the work done by these bishops to pass these predator priests from place to place to get them out of one particular church where they were abusing and put them into another it's all documented in those secret archives and as for the bishops claim that this was a long time ago Judy, child rape in the 1970s is no different than child rape in 2018. It is never something that should be tolerated. It is never something that should be acceptable, especially inside a place of worship.
7: When you say the cover-up reached all the way to the Vatican, explain what you mean.
5: There were documents in the church's own secret archives where bishops notified the Vatican of the predator priests notify them of their plans to pass them from place to place. And we have no proof that the Vatican did anything about it other than keep it quiet as well.
2: So again, you have, here's just another instance of, with proof that the Catholic Church is prioritizing the institution over the lives of children, victimized children. Um, and then some of their excuses are, oh, well, a lot of this was 20 years ago. Is that what he said?
1: Yeah. That happened a long time ago.
2: And and it wasn't so much covering it up, it was following procedures. Okay.
1: Well, if your procedure is to cover it up, yeah. it's still called a cover-up, yeah. fucking Bishop Zubak. Well,
2: that's the whole point here. And that's where a lot of the criticism comes in of people like Pope Francis for not taking that quote-unquote decisive action that he was supposed to be taking. For um, failing
1: to protect children.
2: Right. If you have the power to do something about this and you have the power to make institutional changes where, hey, uh, a kid comes to you and says that a priest touched them inappropriately, um, raped them, did something terrible to them. You call the police. That's right. No more of this, oh, let's like talk to you about it and let's put it in a secret file in the back room and let's like have him go work at Walt Disney World. Uh, no, you call the police. That's the new rule. That should have always been the rule. That should be the rule everywhere. I don't even understand why there would be any other rule.
1: Listen, if there's a choice between protecting the institution or protecting hundreds, thousands of children, you burn the institution to the fucking ground in the service of the innocence of children. It's an easy choice. And why does it take an atheist to tell a fucking Catholic how shit should be? There should be proverbial riots in the streets right now. Catholics should be losing their goddamn minds. Demanding action. Picketing the Vatican. Where are they? I would play the crickets, but it, it's this is too serious. Innocent babies.
2: Well, and that's the who thing. Who end up
1: with drug addictions and die because of the pain that has been foisted on them.
2: It, it means more coming from Catholics, too, and religious people. Like, people can just write off what we have to say because yeah. we're being hateful atheists that are just, like, pouncing on this opportunity to criticize religion. I mean, that's what some people are going to think. But... I mean despite the fact that I've been talking about this for a decade <laughs> consistently I'm yeah. I'm not just like attacking the church this is like a serious problem and if you care about human beings you sh- you should care about this this problem
1: especially if you care about defenseless human yeah, I mean, beings people
2: go to church because they are looking for a moral foundation they're looking for help they're looking for guidance and Comfort, protection. Right. These priests are taking advantage of that in the most vulnerable people, targeting who they see as the most vulnerable and then inviting other predators to join in their victimization of those vulnerable people. It's
1: tragic. Unconscionable. Again, we would love to hear from you on this 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email your voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dolomore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit Patreon.com/slash. I doubt it with Dollamore.
2: This time, I want to skip all the ways that you can support us because you hear it every time, <laughs> um, and I want to say that the most important thing that you can do. Aside from listening to the show and interacting with us and calling in is um, sharing the Facebook post to go like the Facebook page. I doubt it with Dalmore podcast on Facebook like those posts share them with your friends uh, that really helps with the engagement of the page and we're trying to get up over 10,000 likes. <laughs>
1: we're almost there. You know what's weird is we've been almost there.
2: Yeah. For a long
1: long time. Right. And well,
2: yeah, just so,
1: not happening. But that's
2: something free that you can do. That you 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 can just go onto Facebook and like. Uh, I've also noticed that some people have been signing up for Twitter just to follow us on Twitter. So that's great. At Brittany E Page, at Dollamore, at I Doubt It Podcast. Thank you guys.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism so the big news today was that donald trump d secret clearanced top secret clearanced john brennan the former cia director of these united states of america not because john brennan spilled the beans, or divulged classified or highly sensitive uh, information, intelligence, but because he speaks poorly of Donald Trump, because he doesn't have a high opinion of our president, it is because of politics, and uh, there is a lot of outrage tonight,
8: and here is Anderson Cooper talking about this matter. Good evening. After days of battling claims from Honorosa, Omarosa Manigault Newman, the White House chose today to announce that the president has revoked the security clearance of former CIA Director John Brennan and is reviewing the status of nine others, all former officials the president clearly dislikes for public comments they have made or actions they've taken. The White House says what the president did today is all about national security and not about silencing critics or settling scores. So let's look at who the White House is singling out. John Brennan has obviously been very critical of the president, as has former director of national intelligence James Clapper, who's also a CNN contributor. Fired FBI director James Comey is obviously a critic of the president, as has been former CIA director Michael Hayden, also a CNN contributor, who's going to join us in a moment. Former acting attorney general Sally Yates clashed with the president. He fired her. He often rails against Obama's national security advisor Susan Rice. Same goes for former FBI officials Andrew McCabe. Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Bruce Ohr, former U.S. Associate Deputy Attorney General. Everyone on that list is either a critic or someone the president has locked horns with, a point not lost today in the White House briefing room. How can Americans not interpret that as a getting back against his critics? And isn't it also an attempt to curtail their free, freedom of speech by penalizing
9: them for for being critical on television
7: Uh, not at all the president has a constitutional responsibility to protect classified information and who has access to it Um, and that's what he's doing is fulfilling that responsibility in this action this is actually only specific to uh, mr brennan and the others are currently under review
8: Keeping them honest, however, we're now learning that some key current intelligence professionals appear not to have been involved in the president's decision, at least not the nation's top ranking official. CNN's Jim Shudo has learned that Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, was not consulted on the Brennan decision. And apparently whoever had to proofread the president's statement was also taken off guard. They missed this. Take a look. It's dated the 26th of last month, suggesting the president made the decision back then, but waited till now to make it public. The White House blames a cut-and-paste error as for when the decision was actually made and an official claimed not to know. It certainly raises the possibility, at least, that the president was just waiting for the right moment to announce this, such as before a verdict in the Paul Manafort case or in the middle of the increasingly nasty fight with former White House official Omarosa Manigault Newman. Was today's announcement an effort to change the subject away from those allegations that Newman uh, Manigault Newman has made? We'll talk more with our guest about that shortly. But to the point of whether this is about payback or not, The White House was given a chance to provide evidence that there's an actual procedure being followed here and a consistent set of standards being applied. So here's how that played out today, starting with a reporter asking Sarah Sanders about a part of the case she made today against John Brennan that he misled Congress in 2014. Sarah,
1: just to understand the standard that the president is applying, you outlined two areas of either contradictory or erroneous testimony from Brennan. Is that the only standard by which... This
8: administration is asserting he should have his security clearance revoked.
7: Uh, again, I laid out the reasons um, in the opening statement, right. so specific to Director scenes, Brennan. Right. Uh, the others are currently under review. Don't have any specifics so on this at this point. Is, is that the
1: standard? If you give erroneous testimony, you say something you have to correct at a certain date in the future. If you work for this administration, for example. Does that mean you could
7: lose your security clearance? My understanding is this is being looked at on a case by case basis, which is why each individual is being reviewed and determination made at that point.
2: So, for some reason, my phone didn't deliver any of the notifications that it normally does when the press conference is starting today. <laughs> I think it's, it's
1: good for your mental health.
2: Yeah, I think my phone <laughs> is trying to protect my mental health, but nice try, phone, because I went and watched it not live, but I still went and watched it.
1: Yeah, you did. So,
2: nice try. So you I, can't protect my mental health.
1: I have um, it's self care. It's it's self care against your will, <laughs> Britney Page.
2: Yeah, um, I don't appreciate it.
1: I, I have a different take on this. Oh, well, one, listen, it is the president's what he wants to do. It's his it's his determination about security clearances like this to, to revoke, and I don't mean the president is in oh Donald Trump. He he has the right to. I, I don't think I have to make any any illusions about how I feel about this fucking idiot that we have in the Oval Office. Apparently you do. But going forward, do we want a president to not have the ability to revoke a security clearance on the spot? I don't think so. Now, obviously, Donald Trump's doing this for the wrong reasons. He is politicizing this. And what really bothers me is the fact that they knew two weeks ago or longer, July 26th, and uh, now he's doing it. So it really is more of a distraction kind of a thing. But this doesn't hurt um, John Brennan. And I don't know that John Brennan really should have a security clearance. Security clearance is a need-to-know thing. It doesn't go on in perpetuity. Right. What's his need to know anymore? I, I just I don't know that it really hurts anyone other than the system. And the system is hurt because Donald Trump is doing this like a despot. He's doing this like an autocrat. He's doing this like a dictator to punish political um opposition. It, like this list. James Clapper, James Comey, Mike Hayden, Sally Yates, Susan Rice, McCabe, Strzok or these are all people that have spoken Page. Yeah, yeah, you yes. You forgot Page. No, I was uh ignoring that one. Oh. Cool. P- pages aren't important.
2: Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But these are all people who spoke who have spoken ill, who have who have criticized. And that is not the kind of government we live. That's not the kind of country we live in yeah. where things are done that are punitive for political reasons.
2: Yeah, so I guess I'm confused about what your different take is, because at first I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's sounding like he's going to be super wrong about this. And then you came around and you just, you said all the right stuff. So I guess I'm wondering what is your...
1: Well, I'm outraged because of why he did it, not because he did it. You know what I mean? Because I... I don't believe that John Brennan is damaged in any way because well, he doesn't have a top secret clearance anymore. If
2: you're outraged about why he did it, shouldn't that mean you're outraged that he did it? I mean, if, if you're not appreciating the reasons yeah, behind. Yeah, yeah
1: if, you, if you drill down on it, I guess. But what I'm saying is I don't think there's any damage done to John Brennan. He doesn't need a security clearance.
2: Yeah, I think most of the responses that I've been seeing haven't necessarily been, like, concern about John Brennan and what is he going to do now. Yeah. (laughs) It's mostly about uh, the optics. And what this looks like and how this typically isn't done and how he only named people that have been critical of him. People were asking, well, why aren't you like naming other people um, like Michael Flynn or something like that? Um, you know, Or pe-
1: Jared Kushner, who's had to amend his fucking security forms over and over and over because he lied on each subsequent or previous version.
2: Right, he's only naming people that have been critical of him. And yeah. so that doesn't that doesn't look good. And we all know what he's doing. This is someone who lashes out. He fights fire with fire. He hits right. back just like he gets hit. That's what it's about. And now they're trying to act like it's well, this is a lengthy process that we spend a lot of time discussing and it's you know, for the national security purposes. Right. <laughs> no, it's not.
1: Well, the other thing, I don't have audio of this because I am I am like Britney Page. I'm not
2: prepared.
1: Oh. Uh she made a statement that the reason Donald Trump did this, it was a statement from the president. And Mm -hmm. it was because John Brennan is being um, like a media whore and being outrageous with his statements in the media. It's like, could you project any more, (laughs) dude?
2: Right. You know, everything
1: with Donald Trump, when he criticizes somebody's IQ or how ugly they are, it could be exactly turned around Mm -hmm. on him. Yeah. It just... Come on, man.
2: Yeah. Well, another day where (laughs) it seems like we're in an unbelievable situation, but we're not. We're living in reality.
1: (laughs) The the new Mm -hmm. reality.
2: The hell reality.
1: The hell reality. So the other thing... That I want to talk about briefly is, and this was news a week or ten days ago.
2: Oh, perfect! And
1: it didn't get enough coverage, and I want to talk about it. And that it deals with the VA,
2: mm-hmm. so it's a little
1: bit close to my heart
2: because Jesse was a Marine. <laughs>
1: I was a Marine. That is true.
2: Yeah, and so you go to the VA. Well,
1: well, yeah, I am. I mean, I'm a disabled vet. I hurt myself pretty fucking bad in the Marine Corps. Yeah, uh, almost lost my leg. Yep, dislocated my hip and my knee on a reconnaissance type motorcycle. Yeah. Went down a hill, went over the handlebars, blah, blah, blah. The next thing I know, my leg's not attached.
2: That's why you're currently limpy McGee.
1: For sure, limpy McGee. Mm -hmm. That is a fact. Right
2: now, you're you're limping. You're limpy McGee.
1: Right now, especially. I don't know what's going on, but it's even worse today. Yeah. So, it was just revealed, and this was covered very briefly and not enough. That's why I want to talk about it. That Donald Trump had three dudes... And the reason I say Donald Trump had them do it, even though there's no direct connection, is because you don't email someone at the VA as a private citizen who just happens to be a member of Mar-a-Lago and say, this is what we want to have happen. And then your email is responded to with, I've got it. I will put this into action immediately. You don't just happen to have that be the case unless it's been instructed by Donald Trump by the the chief administrators of the administration. Well, that is exactly what happened. There are three members of of Mar-a-Lago. Keep it in mind, it takes $200,000 now to be a member of Mar-a-Lago in Florida, and they are being considered the Mar-a-Lago group, the crowd at Mar-a-Lago, who are instructing, like, the shadow entity that is running the Veterans Administration, which has a two- hundred billion dollar annual budget.
6: Let me get your thoughts on one other issue. You're a member of the Veterans Affairs Committee. There's a stunning new report from ProPublica about the Department of Veterans Affairs and according to documents obtained by ProPublica, an unelected informal council of President Trump's friends uh, has exerted sweeping influence over the VA using the President's private Mar-a-Lago Club in Palm Beach, Florida as their home base. Let me read a portion of this report. The Mar-a-Lago crowd spoke with the VA officials daily. The documents show reviewing all manner of policy and personnel decisions. They prodded the VA to start new programs, and officials traveled to Mar-a-Lago at taxpayer expense to hear their views. Everyone has to go down and kiss the ring, a former administration official said. Uh, so if the bureaucracy resists the trio's wishes, uh, Perlmutter and, and others involved in this informal group supposedly have a powerful ally The President of the United States. You serve on that uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, as I said. Were you aware of this arrangement?
3: Of course not. And this is yet another astounding revelation that the uh, President Trump does not abide by any kind of ethical limitations. And I find it astounding for an agency that is there to serve uh, the, the needs and, and, and provide the programs so that our veterans uh, have earned and deserve. It is just astounding to me that uh, this group of totally unaccountable, unelected, and uh, behind the scenes people can exert this kind of influence. But they obviously have the protection of the president. And this is why the president is not above the law, but he certainly acts as though he is. So I would hope that the Veterans Affairs Committee on which I sit will conduct some hearings I'd like for that to happen so we can find out exactly what kind of influence is being exerted by these people who are accountable to nobody.
1: And that is the problem here. I mean, there's many, many problems here. But there is no... The Congress has oversight authority over the executive branch. It's one of the checks and balances. It's one of the reasons why it's a co-equal branch of government. It has a check against the executive branch, in which the VA is.
2: At this point, that's kind of, like, aspirational. Yeah,
1: for sure. (laughs) For sure.
2: That's, like, the ideal scenario.
1: So you got these three guys, Ike Perlmutter, Mark Sherman, and Bruce Moskowitz. A lawyer, a doctor, and the chairman of Marvel Entertainment. Oh, perfect. The reclusive head of Marvel Entertainment, who up until 10 years ago or so wasn't even photographed in public. He's a fucking weirdo.
2: Did he serve?
1: No, none of them are veterans. Mm. Ike Perlmutter I think was in some capacity in the Israeli military, mm-hmm. but none of them are US veterans.
2: And so what is the unique um characteristic that they bring to the table to assist the veteran?
1: Well, a Bruce Moskowitz son has produced apps in the past. Uh-huh. And done some web development. Yes. And they got a contract Mm -hmm. in some way to try to um, get his software into the VA. Hmm. It ended up not working out. And I think it was because of the, the failure of the software, of the product. Okay. But they are trying to influence the VA to go private, which will absolutely enrich them through their investments... And because of their just and the friend, the network that they have, this is as fucking swampy as it gets. Because they're outside of the purview of the oversight of Congress. Because all they can say is, "Well, I just emailed a suggestion like a private citizen." It'd be no different if Jesse Dalimore emailed a suggestion and then they took it. Uh huh. Not the fucking case. Because many people that they've talked to have said, who are in the VA, have said, no, you had to go down and kiss the ring. They personally chose the former VA secretary. Mm -hmm. This new one, they gave the approval to. So uh, this is a problem. And again, it's not a surprise because it's the Trump administration. But this is as fucking swampy as it gets and I hope that they do have uh, are you smiling as they said it again
2: the no I'm smiling about the swamp line because I just I always think about drain the swamp being chanted at this rich man who has an apartment made of gold yeah and it's so strange to me <laughs> seriously I it, it's hard to
1: especially when it's when it's this dude yelling it
4: no, right
1: yeah
2: it's just it's difficult for me <laughs>
1: It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for me, too. Yeah. So Congress better. I mean, if there's a veterans committee on uh, there is in one in both in both houses, the House and the Senate, they had goddamn better get off their ass and protect the interest of veterans. It's again, it's it's like we were talking about with the Catholic Church. You've got one main duty. It's protecting kids, protecting the innocent, protecting the defenseless. The VA has one goddamn job. It's protecting and serving the interests of men and women who have served their country in the military. And you're fucking failing them. When when you're letting these idiots who have no expertise, who didn't serve, who don't have an interest, when you're letting them run the show, when you're letting them pick VA secretaries. So they paid Donald Trump. And then they get to do this. That's intrinsically bad. And it makes me real, real mad, Brittany Page.
2: Taking care of biz. Christine Halquist.
1: Christine Halquist. Yes. Super good.
2: She won her primary victory in Vermont. And she is, I think, the first transgender person to win. That's right. Um,
1: at, for, at, at this high level. Yeah. Uh, uh, the governorship of a state.
2: Yeah. And so her victory is really empowering. And here she is talking to Don Lemon.
9: So here's the breaking news. CNN Project's Christine Hallquist wins a Democratic gubernatorial primary in Vermont making American political history as the first transgender nominee for governor of a major party. I'm joined now by Christine Holquist. Congratulations to you. Thank you for coming on.
0: Yep. Thank you for having me. You know, this is a huge victory
9: for you personally, but do you see this as a victory for all transgender Americans, all Americans?
0: Yes, I do see it as a victory for all of Americans, but I will tell you it's no surprise to me living in Vermont. I love Vermont and, uh, this is pretty typical for what Vermont is. Vermont's been a loving state, a leader in civil rights, and we're going to continue to show the rest of the country what good democracy looks like.
9: Christine, you were, you were a former energy company executive, right? You were the CEO of the Vermont Electric Cooperative. Tell me why you went into politics.
0: Well, you know, my passion was to show how the electric grid can solve climate change. And we actually got to the point where, we, when I left in March where we were 96% carbon-free, we are offering incentives to, to move away from fossil fuel heating, cooling, and transportation, and we did that without a rate increase. So for five years. So you know that was my passion. But when I look what's happened in the rest of the country um, and, and in our state, November 9th of 2016 really changed everything. And I really probably spent 2017 in a bit of denial. Uh, but if I look at what's happening in Vermont, we are being impacted by what's happening in the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And our governor is actually using the same tax as the national GOP.
9: You're you're talking about the uh Republican incumbent, Governor Phil Scott, right?
0: Yes, I am. Yeah.
9: Um why should they vote for you? Because you, you're gonna take on the incumbent. Why should people vote for you instead of him?
0: Well, uh, you know, our our governor, his his motto is no new taxes, and and of course uh we're gonna you know, he he's kind of attacking our public education system. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not a person that talks about taxes because certainly fi- being fiscally responsible is important. But I I I want a leader who has a long-term vision. You know, a 20-year vision. How are we going to get more food on the table? And how are we going to raise uh the, the living conditions for all those people on the lowest of the economic ladder? So so I think we need to have leaders who have visions beyond their own their own Gov- you know, their own gubernatorial ship and, and beyond their own lifespan. We need to have long-term visions about how, what, what are, what are states going to look like?
9: You ran as a transgender woman. You are one of more than 400 LGBTQ candidates running in this cycle. How important is it that LGBTQ folks have a seat at the table in politics?
0: Well, you know, I, I like to talk about all marginalized communities. You know, certainly one of the things I learned in my transition is you know it's one thing to talk about the gender hierarchy it's -hmm. the other thing to experience it so I think we should be talking about all marginalized communities you know it's certainly if I look what's happening certainly at the national level you know there's a systematic attack and it's gonna start you know it's gonna start with the the most marginalized of the communities so the fact that uh, that uh, our president has gone after the transgender community is no surprise and I think everybody should be afraid
1: so I have two things here one I just learned that Christine Hallquist is a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My passion was electric grids solving climate change.
2: That's amazing.
1: Amazing and nerdy. That's nerd town. Well, we need more of that. For sure. The other thing that we need more of is politicians who have a vision beyond their office, beyond the term that they will serve. Mm -hmm. And she clearly has that. And it is fucking fantastic to hear. Hopefully, people running for office all across the country will adopt this kind of an attitude because... That is what is going to bring us into the into modernity, into the future, is that kind of thinking.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Not, oh, I'm going to put steel tariffs on other countries because 2018 is coming, 2020 is coming, and I want Pennsylvania to vote for me. That is strictly short-term thinking. We need long-term thinking from our politicians, and Christine Haltquist is getting it done. Yeah. So if you live in Vermont, I know we have listeners in Vermont, this is your candidate.
2: Yeah, she beat three other candidates in Vermont's Democratic primary. Crushed them. Yeah, and so going into November, she's going against Phil Scott. So this is definitely a race to watch.
1: And we will be following up on this. Uh, Maybe we should reach out and get her on the show. That would be a fantastic episode. Uh, I think she has some great ideas and clearly smart. You know, having nerds as politicians <laughs> is a good thing.
2: Very helpful. A
1: very helpful thing. Yes. Especially when they are they nerd out about things like the, the electric grid. Yeah. And climate change. Yes. All right.
2: When they can talk about multiple things other than the one book they read that one time, The Art of the Deal.
1: <laughs> yes. Which is the second greatest book. Mm-hmm. Next to the Bible. Yes. You know.
2: Yeah. I thought it was the other way around.
1: No, no, no. Oh, no. He had to. Oh. You can't say it's better. than. I mean, maybe now he could say it's better than the Bible. Wow.
2: He was really courting those evangelicals. Yeah, he was really wasn't pandering yeah.
1: by saying his the art of the deal was the second wow. greatest book.
2: Wow. <laughs> really <laughs> took one for the team there.
1: Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Tremendous.
2: She's not a
3: Christian. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we're going to leave you there. We love you oh, guys. We appreciate God. you. Thank you for joining us today and every day. Whether we two episodes a week or three episodes a week, we appreciate your listenership and we encourage you to call in and, and uh, interact with the show about these topics or any others that you want to talk about, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Just keep them fewer than three minutes. That's all we ask. We love you and we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore and this has been... I doubt it. (laughs) Mom, give me some math
2: flashcards. We don't need to practice the fighting, okay?